Hello everyone, this is Chris. Um, hi, how's your day? I'm hoping it's going well. Uh, mine is not that bad. Well anyways, I just wanted to give another shout out to the people in Lincoln in the United Kingdom. You guys are fucking awesome. Thanks for listening, whoever you are. Also, the people in Newark, Ohio, and Salem, Oregon, um, you're popping up on my feed. And again, I just want to say hi and thank you for listening to the show. Last but not least, there is a country out in the horizon, in the land of the rising sun, that is paying a lot of attention to this uh, podcast, and I want to thank you for that. Um, really, thank you. Uh, arigato gozaimasu. Um, other than that, uh, I changed the intro song. So no more of that. I'm done with it. It's um, yeah, I'm kind of tired of it. So I'm trying out some new sounds, simple, quick. And today I'm speaking with Lucid Cam, a really cool uh, startup creating um, experiences that you can share uh, with each other if in virtual reality. So without further ado, enjoy the show. Why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? This is Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm talking to LucidCam, a very promising, very cool startup slash product that I think will uh, be very impactful in the virtual reality industry as it goes forward. And today I'm joined by Jason and Han. Hey. Uh, Han, you're the the founder of LucidCam, and Jason, you are the... I'm the guy to IT him along with him to do it. So. Okay, I like that too. <laughs> Operations. <laughs> Operations. Okay, awesome. And what is LucidCam? Let's start off right off the bat with that, first of all. So LucidCam is pretty much the invention to recreate or mimic the human eye and create videos which are so immersive that you can relive any experience you have. So essentially, it's a way for people to share experiences that they can then experience in virtual reality, right? But so, so what is it exactly? It's a product? It's a camera? What is it? It's a camera, basically looking like um, very similar to a mobile phone, uh, very small, sleek. Like I would say, um, in a nutshell, it's GoPro for VR. But um, we distinguish ourselves from GoPro because... Um, GoPro is more on, on the 2D front, right? We want to have um, immersive, we want to disrupt the entire 2D videos or pictures in the future. We want to have videos which are, you know, if you instead of showing you a video of my mom, I'm going to say, do you want to stand next to my mom? And um, that's what we can capture with our camera. Very cool. Yeah, so I guess the new innovation here is that previously with 2D cameras, you didn't have that perception of depth. And so an example of where you're kind of at a loss and you're not getting that full experience is if you've ever been up on a hillside or mountains, experiences like that where you take a camera, you take a picture with a regular camera and you don't really get that sense of vertigo that you would. I've never gotten a sense of vertigo from a regular picture. And so, for instance, going to Yosemite, it's a Bay Area favorite spot to head for me and a lot of friends. And I take photos of that and I show it to my friends and I'm like, oh, that's cute, that's cool, nice big rocks. But when you're standing on the top of it and it's a 2,000 foot drop below you, it, it's a very different feeling. And so the camera, this camera, the reason why we believe that the technology is mature enough to where this camera is actually ready for prime time is because now we have a viewing platform. So previously people didn't really have a way to consume 
pictures or images or content that were 3D mm-hmm. without putting on these really gangly glasses. And, you know, there's a couple feature films that include 3D here and there, but it's not really, I wouldn't really call it immersive. Right. So because of Oculus, we believe that, the, that everyone's ready now for this kind of content because we can capture images literally the way, you're, the way your eye sees it. Mm-hmm. And so then when you review it through the Oculus, you don't have that sense that you're, you're viewing it through a medium. It's like you're there. It's not like you're watching a picture of something. Mm-hmm. It's like you're actually watching that thing itself. And yeah. so that's what he meant by being able to pretty much put you next to his grandmother in a conversation, right? Or on top of a hilltop if you're not nearing. I like that. I, I mean, I, I like the, the uh, I'm on board with the idea that this is a device that could capture reality in a much more intuitive, more real sort of sense. Uh, and, and, but, but I also want to challenge you because I, I, um, because I, as much as I, I, I love VR and I love what you guys are doing, uh, you're on this podcast so I can put you through the gauntlet and sure. people can figure out whether you guys are awesome or not. And Very I think awesome. you are. So let's, but, but let's, uh, so let me ask you, so, you know, what is the added value of having 3D depth in, you know, video? Like what we, what am I getting out of it that, you know, I, I wouldn't be getting out of GoPro, for example. Right. So, um, just to give you a story about how, why we came up with it uh, when we first founded it. So, um, my co-founder came up, um, with a prototype and started filming. So he was from Germany. And um, I was born in China and grew up in Germany, and um, we met here in San Francisco. And what happened is um, he showed me the demo of a child of one of his um, little uh, nephews. Um, he was like one year old, and he was in Germany, and he can't see him every year, right? So he took a video, and then he said, do you want to see my nephew? And he put put the Oculus on me, and I was like, wow. I was like blown away. It's like... It's, it's a different experience. It's very different to, to stand and look around and feel like you're inside of the room uh, mm-hmm. with, with the child than being uh, outside more observe, uh, from an observer perspective, right? <laughs> and um, so what, what I see the benefit is um, with, a, with a GoPro, you, you, you have pretty much a, uh, I don't want to say cheap, but <laughs> it's a um, compact, uh, compact um, very affordable camera, which you can mount on anything. But we want to take it to the next level where you have um, that kind of experience where it's more emotional connection to, to your videos and your pictures instead of having only, um, you know, um, very fast-taking pictures which you just share and just, you know, uh, send to each other. Nice. Yeah. So we're really the utility that really got us, that, that got a hold of us to begin with, was that sense that you could be there in person. Mm-hmm. And in the VR space, you hear the word presence, quote unquote. Um, and also beyond that, an example of where we think we can take VR technology where we haven't gone before. An example would be a surgeon, right? Where you, everyone, you know, this remote surgery is all the rage now. These robotics where a surgeon can be thousands of miles away and control these arms and actually do open heart surgery on somebody, you know, 2,000 miles away in a completely different city. The one place where you still limited though is in that vision aspect, right? You're watching it through a regular picture. You don't have that sense of depth, right? And so because this, the two lenses in our camera are offset, if equidistant to how far your eyes are actually offset, you get that exact same perception of depth as you would have actually being there. So imagine a surgeon now, instead of just watching it on a TV screen and controlling these robotics, he can now put on an Oculus with a camera in that room, and he can actually gauge how close he is 
to an artery or nerve or anything like that, right? So that's an example in the medical sphere. Imagine in the military sphere where you've got a person inside of a tank. Ideally, you don't want them poking their head out to see what's going on because right. they're vulnerable. But at the same time, too, you're removed from the battlefield, right? So you've got that distance there. Now imagine having an Oculus headset on with our camera on the, mounted to the front of the tank, and you can actually... I mean, effectively, it feels as though you're on the outside. Mm-hmm. And you have that perception of depth. You can make more. You can make better critical decisions when you need to because you have a larger... You have more sensory information that you can process and make better decisions with. And so, I mean, you can just imagine where this goes in terms of putting people in... Situations where they can they can do jobs remotely. Yeah. Um, imagine a firefighter, right? Uh, you now have a 2D camera with depth. Well, it's great that you've got this vision on, but imagine you've got this mounted strapped to the front of an Oculus, and you now have infrared on the front mm-hmm. because they're just image sensors. We can put whatever we want on the front, mm-hmm. and he can run into a building, and it's not like he's got he's not looking through this one little camera or scope. He actually has really truly augmented capabilities, yeah. and so that's really where we like to take this. Very to, cool. To add to what Jason just said, um, basically what you can do, you can re-experience or live through the eyes of other people. Yeah. Right. You can see like how they saw that experience or that event, mm-hmm. or, or or you know experience the moment again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can have you can have the utility of either content capturing and storage for later viewing, mm-hmm. or con or live streaming, mm-hmm. whether it's to via the web or straight on top of the Oculus store. You can actually see things in a new way. I feel like um, what you guys are sort of describing is the difference between looking at something outside of a window and then sticking your head sticking your head inside the window to look at that thing. Like that's sort of the difference I see. And you know you talk about the the tank example, you know, I remember seeing a, a post on Reddit a while ago about the Norwegian army using uh, the Oculus Rift uh, to and a camera outside for the tanker to manipulate the tank. Um, and so it's coming along. They're, I think they're waiting for you guys. But but you guys are aiming for the consumer, right? Like you're not right. going for the yes. the medical or the military. I mean, what's uh? And, and who do you have specifically in mind in terms of you know the the person that the type of person that will buy this that will adopt this? So, like any technology, we're like any technology that's a consumer technology, we got to start with the early adopters, the people who are, the people who are willing to test it out, try with the early prototypes, you know, work out the bugs. Because of that, the interest we've really garnered in the beginning is from filmmakers and adventurous, a lot of the GoPro types. Because for them, well, for filmmakers, they want to tell a richer story. Yeah. And for the adventurous, likewise, they're, they're living the adventure and they're getting their adrenaline pumping and then... They take that back home. And they're only able to tell half the story to the people who are there, and so those are the two early adopters we figure we target first. And to your point about why we're tackling commercial uh, consumer goods rather than the military or any other type of industry, the main reason why is because people update their technology really fast. If you work with the military, their development cycles are you know half a decade, if not more, right? And once they adopt the technology, they roll it out and they don't like to change it very fast. Mm. Same with the medical field. Very slow pace of development for a lot of these things. They're super careful. You know, they like to do trial and error. They can't afford mistakes. And so because of that, we want to start with consumers who, you know, every Christmas you're looking for the new toy, right? Right. For your cousin or uncle or yourself, right? And so that gives us the opportunity to reinvent ourselves really rapidly and prototype and develop our product as fast as we possibly can. Very cool. And also in the market, there are a lot of um, uh, 360 degree solutions right now, which are very expensive. Um, I don't, I don't know like 
when I saw the video with the baby to re-emphasize that, um, I just couldn't see that I, I need to pay that much of money, like uh, $500,000 for a camera, or even $5,000 for a camera to, to create the same experience. I, I believe that that kind of experience should be given to any one of us. Right. Yeah. And, and and that's why we are uh, we want to bring this to consumers. We believe that only like individual consumers will create content which are amazing. You you have seen it with GoPro, right? Mm -hmm. um, those kind of content, that creativity, which is uh, which is uh, coming through the passion of taking videos and sharing experiences, is uh, something you can't just replace with any industry where you go into military or into you know uh, medicine. Or, yeah, healthcare. And often, yeah. a lot of the most compelling content has a very limited time window to capture it. And so, for example, news organizations, they're being ousted by people with iPhones and a really simple camera. And the reason why is because what makes the content compelling, one is the technology, but two is the ability to capture it when it happens. And so, because of that, we don't want to have an expensive rig that's huge. We don't want we we don't want technology that's not commercializable and not not able to bring it to the masses where you can pretty much capture you know everyday experiences that really are meaningful to people so before we go deeper into the hardware component of this uh, let's talk about the software uh, mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm sort of curious as to how you guys are going to distribute or allocate the, the creative work that people will put out and where you know consumers can access that that work you know how is that gonna look so we believe in a full um, consumer experience cycle meaning from capturing, to storing, to sharing, to uh, editing, and then uh, you know bring it out and share it with more people. So what we build is not just um, this camera, it's also we have our own app and our own headset, which is going to complement the camera. Hmm. Meaning, it, it's going to be very easy for you to take and capture our videos, meaning you just take the camera and you shoot it. And then what's going to happen is it's going to upload it to the cloud. You have your own storage. And then you have your own app on your phone. So you take out your phone, slide it into the um, headset, which we provide. And then you can watch it on your phone whenever you want. Nice. So let's run that one more time. So you take your footage with the Lucidcam camera. Sure. Yes. That footage goes to a cloud storage place that you own. Mm -hmm. And then... You grab your Oculus Rift, Sony Morpheus, or whatever it is, yeah. and access the the file from the cloud, or is it going to be a website like a YouTube that you go to, or or how would that look? I mean, effectively both. We want to create a platform where you can share your content mm -hmm. because we're interested in creating content, which is why we have the camera. Right. But if it just sits on your camera, it's not going to grow. It's useless, right? It's, yeah. Like nobody takes pictures usually just for themselves. Half the fun of the picture is to share it. And so because of that, we felt like we couldn't develop just the camera on its own oh. in isolation. So we developed a camera, a portal so that you can share it and store it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, similar to Instagram or uh, YouTube. As you mentioned, YouTube is really good for videos. And one of the reasons why we wanted the headset as well is just because the development cycles for that are really long. So mm -hmm. Oculus is taking a long time to come out with theirs. Sony, you know, Samsung, all these big players are all coming out with theirs, but they've got... The big players have big brand names that they got to think about, and so what that means is they got to put out a really polished product. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that we don't we don't create too much of a dependency on them to where we slow down the actual virtual reality space. Mm -hmm. 
So that's why we want to have all components. So we're focusing on the camera. That's that's the part that's, that's definitely number one. Yeah, that's number one. That's the that's that's the secret sauce. The mm -hmm. technology to to merge those images, to sequence them and stream them and have it play back live so that it's so that it's just seamless. Mm -hmm. That's really where we're focusing. Mm -hmm. And then for the rest of it, we're pulling just tricks from other people. We don't want to reinvent the wheel for every single stage. Oculus did a great job with their headset. Great. Yeah. We'll make something similar to that and a lot cheaper just so that we have something to go along with the camera so you can view images as soon as you take them. Right. If you want to upgrade and you want to go expensive with a really nice TV, you know, you figure Oculus is the 4K TV. We're the uh, regular, you know, 720p TV, right, with our, with our headset. And so you have the whole experience where as soon as you buy this off the shelf, you can go take cameras, photo. you, you can use this camera to go take content and mm -hmm. share it with your friends immediately. That's awesome. The question, the question I have about the portal, will the portal, because I see two sort of monetization alleys here. You've got the hardware, and I wonder whether you guys see the software aspect as also a, a potential revenue maker. Do Definitely. you? Yes. In the long term, um, we will be very software heavy mm -hmm. because... Um, what we believe in is the sharing, the social part of our product. Mm -hmm. And um, if you have a portal where you can not just share with your friends, but also maybe think into how you can monetize the experiences which you capture. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have been traveling and you just bought a ticket to China for $1,000. And um, you spend in China for two weeks or three weeks and you have taken some of the most beautiful experiences with you. And there are people out there who just don't have the money. They can't afford it. They can't um, buy a plane ticket or go to a hotel or do something like that. But you have it and you want to share that kind of experience with them. You can you know, monetize it by posting your experiences. And, and those people, maybe they have a headset. Maybe they have just a phone and can leverage the phone to experiences. And they can pull it on demand hmm. and pay for those kind of services. Very cool. Yep. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so effectively we're starting with hardware. But hardware is hard. It takes a lot of effort in the beginning. It's great. But then the problem is once you develop it, it doesn't take too long before it becomes a commodity. Because China is very good at reverse engineering. Things are creating replicas or, you know, all sorts of stuff, right? You see it in Samsung. Their, stocks cr their stock price is crashing because they're solely dependent on their hardware. Hmm. They don't own the operating system that's Android, right, which Google owns. And so because of that, You've got a lot of up-and-comers who, they're late to the game, but they don't care because they can now compete Samsung on cost. And so inevitably, we see our hardware going that way, too. So because of that, we see the hardware as a way to kind of get this entire industry off the ground. Mm -hmm. But event, but long-term, we really we really hope to capture and monetize our products in the software space rather than the hardware. Right. So uh, to that point of monetizing the software because eventually someone else will catch up, you know, what are what about the idea of also innovating and keep adding features to the hardware so that you're constantly ahead of the game? Like, and can you can you give me like a snippet of you know what are some of the cool things that you have planned for the future for the hardware in mind? So on the hardware side, definitely um, in terms of how you you wear it, because we believe that this is going to be a wearable product for us. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as you start wearing our camera, there's so much more possible. And I believe that one of the most um, important applications for it is, is to have it, you know, from a first-person perspective, right? Mm -hmm. When you go in a first-shooter like game, that's how you see through the camera, mm -hmm. right? And uh, we are thinking about definitely providing accessories um, to support the camera, but also 
if you if you move up the chain more onto the semi-professional side, um, they are looking into different lenses, um, different quality of um, you know um, of that kind of videos which you can create, right? Mm -hmm. Higher quality, and um, how how much more can you make it real and feel better, right? So and in, into like um, changing lenses, maybe and um, looking into how to reduce the size of the camera so that it becomes smaller and smaller and uh, looking also into how you can mount the camera mm. and just have it with you whenever you have it and you as you can see right now it's um it's the size of my hand pretty much right yeah. and um it fits it's very uh, it's like thin like your iphone 6 and fits into your pocket like right just slide it in yeah it's quite compact, definitely. But what I also wanna, I'm wondering about whether you're, um, you know, what's your take on Project Tango, for example, from Google, the, where they're using machine vision on smartphones to render out 3D worlds. Um, it's not what you guys are doing, definitely, but do you see that at all as a as a competitor, or or, or do you see that as something that might help you? What What do you think? We see people, so what we kind of classify ourselves as is more cinematic reality. Mm -hmm. We're capturing the real world, just like a camera does. Then you have augmented reality, where they layer the digital on top of the real. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the virtual, where it's purely digital. I don't believe any one of us can succeed without the other. Because we're all responsible for growing that pie and making it bigger. You know, encouraging people to get into the Oculus and, and consume media through that platform. So we really would hope that they actually succeed. But virtual reality, for instance, I don't think will go beyond just games too much. I mean, it'll be important in the industry in terms of, you know, for instance, CAD drawings for architects, things like that. Augmented reality, it's great, but unless you have the real world to overlay that information on, mm -hmm. it won't go very far either. And so each one of them has a market that they're addressing, and there is overlap. Just like gamers would buy our cameras, and just like people who buy the camera and buy the headset would then be able to consume game, you know, gaming content, right? And they would likely, they would likely be bleed over into that with the start purchasing games. We really believe it's an ecosystem where it's symbiotic. So we encourage, I mean, we're really trying to leverage that and not see it as competition so much as co-opetition or cooperation to right. kind of grow that entire market because we're all invested in making sure that this space grows. Hmm. And I do believe in Google Tango's technology because it's um, it's exciting to see um, how you can simplify how to capture like 3D movies, right, mm -hmm. uh, or 3D any environments. And um, how Google Tango works is pretty much they are leveraging one camera, and by moving it around, you are taking many different frames at the same time. Mm -hmm. And by taking many different frames at the same time, you can leverage those two frames to create a 3D a depth perception. Whereas um, f from our perspective, you with our camera you don't need to move around. That means if you want to have a 3D video with uh, Google Tango, you have to be swinging all the time, you know. <laughs> Whereas with our camera you can have a stable and it will capture still the depth and the 3D effect, yeah. right? And 180 degree. So, put it this way, Google Tango is trying to do with one eye what it takes two eyes to do. So there is going to be some quality loss there. So there will definitely be applications where that's preferable because it might be a while before these cameras become small enough and the software powerful enough to be able to run on a smartphone. Maybe one day in the future these get integrated with smartphones. Um, yeah. But until then, it's almost like I, I see that as more of a stopgap solution. Right. 
whereas this is an actual full-fledged dedicated camera. And because it's dedicated to 3D vision, will therefore be better. I want to talk real quick about the something you mentioned earlier about this is targeted for filmmakers and adventurers, right? And you know, if I'm a filmmaker and I am putting together this awesome documentary, for example, you know, what software tools do I have at my disposal to be able to edit the format that you guys are putting out? Like, are you guys creating a whole new, a suite of tools, or are they already available on the market? What's it look like? They're already available in the market. Cool. So um, a lot of companies are working on it right now, uh, which we are trying to collaborate with because mm-hmm. um, they do have that kind of aligning, you know, changing the lighting, changing the frames, um, changing the um, the duration of your video and stuff like that. So um, we believe that this is maybe in the long term a good area to look at, but uh, for uh, for the start, um, we we want to focus on the hardware. Primarily. Yeah, we can't do everything. I agree. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a challenge to mass produce anything, yeah. Yeah. Uh, much less uh, new cutting edge technology, right? And so, yeah. because of that, we're deliberately sectioning ourselves off to more of the hardware on the platform. Right. And yeah. less so all the editing tools and the augmented reality and all that digital overlay you could really throw on. Mm-hmm. We feel like there are other people who are much better suited to that task than we are. So, we're letting them do their thing. Keep me posted. Uh, keep the community posted for someone that gets up there and, and takes initiative uh, to put out a tool. I mean, do you have a name or anything that you can say right now at this point? Like, yes, you could use this software to edit our videos. Yeah, so there's a uh, good software and um, I hope the company hears what I'm saying <laughs> to give them some praise. It's um, uh, Colorize. Colorize, okay. Yes, um, they are, um, I think they're available for Windows and um, iOS. So just download it and then install it. Okay, I'll put that link in the show notes for sure because uh, that's really cool. One thing that I've, that I've noticed is you have all these Kickstarter videos for 360 cameras, mm-hmm. and it feels like, from my perspective, I'm not going to mention any names, but there are a few out there who view, who saw virtual reality, oh, shit, Facebook, oh, $2 billion, let's put, let's integrate Oculus, let's integrate an Oculus player. Mm-hmm. And it also, it almost feels like an afterthought from them. Even though the experience is cool, I, li- I like 360 videos in VR, um, it, it still feels like from some of them, not all of them, it's it's still an afterthought. You know, how, what is VR to you guys? And I'm sure this question is really easy, and, but but I, but I want to make sure that you guys sort of stand out from the pack in that sense, because I think you guys are definitely um, in more of a less a symbio, symbiosis sort of relationship with, with VR. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me, well, from your perspective, like, we believe VR is much more than just gaming. Right. And it will definitely change the world. And we want to be the first to make people aware of what kind of applications, what kind of opportunities are out there, which you can use to, to, you know, to leverage VR to make something better than just playing games. Yeah, and to your point, I guess we're getting at the fact that they were really concerned with content capture, but not so much the replay of it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously for us, if we can't replay our videos in high quality, it doesn't matter how good we capture it. So we're pretty concerned with concerned with and working on that to create a player. So part of part of that actually is sizing up the problem and making it a little smaller than it otherwise would be. So, for instance, with 3D cameras, in order to get, sorry, not 3D, 360-degree cameras, 
in order to get the full 360 degree uh, field of view, you need a lot more than two cameras. You need somewhere in the order of eight to 12 cameras, mm -hmm. which means there's a lot more processing required. There's a lot more pixels and the file sizes are substantially larger. In addition to the hardware, obviously costing a magnitude larger. Yeah. So because of that, that enables us to render things in real time. So it doesn't take a massive amount of processing power and a whole bunch of time to render an image. And part of that is we feel that what makes content compelling as well is when it's live. Mm -hmm. And the direction we took enables us to get there faster. Very and so we're having a dedicated player so that you can, as soon as you're capturing an image, you can render it and play it in real time. Um, and also, obviously, you know, playback after the fact, you know, from your storage device. But I think to add to what Jason was trying to say is um, we have stripped down VR cameras to, to the bare minimum. Hmm. We have only two lenses versus eight lenses. We have 180 degree versus 360 degree, <laughs> whereas you need eight lenses or six lenses or even 12 lenses to create that 360 degree mm -hmm. um, kind of view. And also, I tried some of the 360 degree cameras, and my problem was, um, how can I shoot a 360 degree video without always having me being in there and then making strange faces while shooting it. <laughs> one of the, yeah, I, I still haven't figured out and I, I feel many people haven't figured out either. Yeah. Right? How do you, how do you make it portable? First, they are like very huge, bulky, right? How do you fit it in your pocket? How do you, you know, take it out and start filming? And um, if you want to mount it somewhere, um, does it look like an umbrella over your head or, you know, those kind of huge kind of um, products are just very difficult for end consumer to, to use. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll point out that 360 degree cameras are not the innovation. I think it's a bit of a misdirection. Everyone's got excited about, you know, Oculus and the ability that, to turn your head and got ahead of themselves and decided to, you know, take on the whole thing. So today you can have a 360 degree camera, 2D. Um, most of the applications that we see it for are mapping streets. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great when you go onto Google Images or Google Maps and you can drop yourself on any location and see all around you. But people aren't consuming that in large quantities today, even though that technology is available in 2D. Mm -hmm. And why is that? And I think it's just because that's not how we that's not how we perceive the world. I mean, we are we have two eyes. We're binocular by nature. And so I think just tying into that and playing off of that, it's a lot more of a Power, it's an easier to use product and it's more powerful because you're focused, you have a frame. Yeah. And especially for filmmakers, for instance, they don't know how to use 360 degree cameras very easily. Um, if something happens behind me, how do I queue it up so that you know to look there, right? Mm -hmm. And even if something does happen behind me, can you move there fast enough? Can you turn around in your chair to actually see what's going on? All sorts of, all sorts of other issues come along where it's actually challenging. And film, filmmakers have gotten used to the concept of framing images, you know, mm -hmm. to show the user what's happening. And for instance, if you're on a, you know, Take an example, you're on a roller coaster or you're on a hike or you're on a bicycle going down some really steep trail, right? Mm -hmm. Usually the action is in front of you and not behind. And so most of the time we notice our users when we created 360 degree content, we're always looking forward. Mm -hmm. So it was almost a waste of space, waste of energy, waste of pixels, storage, you name it, right? To create all this content that nobody really cared about. And so that's really where we wanted to be focused and drive a lot more value out of just a forward looking camera. <laughs> Uh, it's a brave new world that for filmmaking out here. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, 
for I, I'll see for example I'll see stuff that John puts out or um, these other guys uh, 360 uh, I forget their name sorry guys uh, maybe maybe um, but but things like John and they're compelling and mm -hmm. I like them and what I realized that for example the one with the called the mission is the World War two one is is it's cool and um, and the, the cool thing about 360 video, because I don't want to knock on it too much, is the fact that I could probably watch the same video three or four times, the, you know, following one person's perspective. Like, oh, I'm just going to look in that direction and watch the whole movie play for that one particular actor. But at the same time, we, it's, like I said earlier, this is a brave new world, and we really don't know how the end user is going to react right. to this, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> I mean, it might be a wild success, I have no idea. So. It, it, it <laughs> might, so. but there is something to be said about that 180 degree front-facing experience with stereoscopic 3D that hides the director um, and focuses your attention in a huge way uh, to 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 this to this thing, but like, you know, what is the challenge of that? You know, what are the uh, obviously we talked about some of the advantages. We can talk about them again, but what are the disadvantages or potential challenges to only 180 video? Do you think? What do you think? Yeah, we definitely know our weaknesses. Um, meaning, uh, if you have a 180 degree video. Sometimes when you're turning your head too much, you are zooming out of uh, the immersive experience, right? Mm -hmm. So you're you're going into a blank blank space, which pretty much uh, sets you, you know, breaks breaks the experience or the emotional connection which you have to to the object or to to anything in the uh, video. Mm -hmm. um, that's one. Then the second one is um, the thing is if you have only 180 degree. You may be so if something is happening behind you, and it's it should should be like um, is a you know combination of what's happening in the front and in the back that you don't have that. For example, um, to give you a good example, I, I don't think that we could shoot a Star Wars movies with that. Mm. <laughs> uh, just imagine yourself into one of those scenes where where you know uh, a lot of uh, ships are uh, flying around, mm -hmm. right? And those kind of um, a ship is passing you, another ship is like uh, flying to the front and shooting er everywhere. Um, I, I don't think we are made for Hollywood. Mm. But for the end consumer, I definitely think that's exactly what they need because they are not shooting those kind of videos which they want to sell for millions of dollars, mm -hmm. right? They want to create unique experiences which they can um, share with friends, uh, unique experiences which are short, mm -hmm. unique experiences which comes from their perspective. And their perspective, often I have the problem when I look at a, a, three, a 360 degree video, that I was looking back, well, I missed out the action in the front. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely something to think about yeah. there for sure. I think there will be the, the ecosystem will develop such that there's a place for both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but we really believe that it seemed like the larger market was for the 180 degrees. I I like what Han said earlier uh, about the making it so that it is something that is quick. And easy and on the go for and and consumers and I and the and the, the reason why that sticks to me is because I look at the state of Hollywood right now the, the state of movies um, versus the internet and you know which one is more prolific like in terms of video content you know con the consumption of video are we consuming more video 
media from Hollywood or are we consuming more video media from YouTube? And um, that's what Hans said speaks to me because I think that we are as as society as a you know as progress goes on. I feel like we are moving in a direction where people want that just you know hey let me show you this quick baby shower boom upload it send it done like yeah. um not yeah i i like the fact that it's a quick on the go no brainer sort of experience i like that and also we believe that one day everybody or anyone can create those kind of experiences mm -hmm. not just those um rich movie makers but also people who just you know, wanted to buy a camera and just have fun on the weekend, right? Mm -hmm. We want to have those kind of experiences shared with anybody, right? Anybody should be able to experience this. And if you if you set the price or you know the the bar too high to get one of those cameras, it's just very difficult to to bring it to the people, right? Mm, yeah, we want three D cameras to be as ubiquitous as two D cameras. Yes. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah, they're over. I feel, I feel like they're overdue. I feel like you see, and and w where you see like um, a progress t to innovate on on camera technology, you see things like the Lytro, and that is extremely expensive stuff right there. You know, so that's that's no good for now. Um, and speaking of price, what is the tentative, approximate, in the ballpark estimate sort of price you're going for? So we are definitely working on that, and um, I, I wouldn't say any, um, a, an exact price right now, but we will uh, be definitely below $1,000 uh, per camera, because we believe that um, that's something which is more affordable to the end consumer right. than if you offer $5,000 and you have a huge bulky camera which you have to carry around you, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And um, also... We are looking into um, the space in, in the very long term, right? Into the space where GoPro falls in, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, GoPro is, I, I'm, I'm very, very fascinated by how GoPro became so successful. Yeah. Because uh, they made it possible that everyone can capture experiences and live their passion, mm -hmm. right? By just mounting their camera on on any device or any um, like the surface on their board and just watch themselves surfing the waves mm -hmm. right? and we believe that um, this is a very good space to be in because people will not just share their passions but also they will relive memories or they will bridge distances yeah. and they will go back in time with what we can offer I like that, very nicely said um, and in terms of what I want, I want to go next in, like, what is the ultimate goal for you guys? Like, you know, if you could paint me a picture of what Lucid Cam is going to look like, or what you want Lucid Cam to look like two years from now, like, what, what do you think will that that picture looks like? Well, what I think would be a really great objective is to make 2D, uh, 3D cameras cost competitive with 2D cameras. Mm -hmm. So you figure right now to get a 3D camera, at minimum, you have to strap two GoPros together. Mm -hmm. Plus all the all the accessories and such, and a GoPro is three hundred dollars per lens, effectively, right? Yeah. So a three D camera is going to set you back at least six hundred bucks, right? At minimum for subpar capabilities, mm. right? Yes. Compared to where we would like to get to, it's true. Subpar to a dedicated camera that's three D, right? Yeah. So that's why we want to stay in that price range. So if we could get a three D camera with two lenses to be the same price today as what you pay for a single lens camera, 
we think that'd be a very it'd be it'd be a great goal to have to be somewhere in the three hundred dollar range for a camera. And this, and people seem to have that kind of there's an inflection point right about four hundred dollars for technology. Mm-hmm. So for instance, like uh, game consoles, right? Don't sell that great when they're five hundred bucks. They go to three hundred bucks. Boom, they're a huge success. Uh, it's I don't think it's a coincidence that smartphones are somewhere in the six hundred dollar range. A lot of these, you know, you think most of the technology computers today are somewhere around the five to six hundred dollar range. A lot of the technology that we consume is priced at that point because that's really what I think people are willing to afford mm-hmm. or pay for the technology they want. So from my perspective, um, I totally agree with what Jason said, and also to paint the picture for you, like what's the long-term vision for this. Um, um, to reemphasize what I said at the beginning, I believe that in the future people won't show pictures or videos on a 2D screen to people or to other people to to share experiences. <laughs> they will put their friends and family back into that experience and let them, you know, go through everything they felt, yeah. everything they experienced. And um, one of our biggest mission is to bring to the people the opportunity to relive anything without limitations. Yeah. If um, to let you know to let me explain that is um, we are in a world where time and access to things is just very limited, right? Maybe you don't have the money, maybe you don't have the time, maybe you are you are even handicapped and you can you know go climbing or you are too old to to go on a crazy trip or hiking or whatever, right? But you will be able to relive and experience those kind of moments from the comfort of your home, sitting at home, just by putting on a virtual reality headset. Because the content which we create will be will leverage, uh, will enable you to exceed any limitations which are out there. Mm. Are you guys looking for developers, funding? Um, what is it at this point that you need to continue further? Like, what are, what are the, some of the things that you... So currently we are closing funding. Um, we are talking to a few VCs and um, <clears throat> looking into um, bringing this camera to, to the mass production stage. And also at the same time, we are we are always looking out for talented people, developers as well as hardware. Um, those um, hardware people, it's really difficult here in the Silicon Valley to find great hardware guys because everyone is so focused on software, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, um, but I've seen so many, or I have met so many crazy hardware guys who can prototype the the best systems out there. And, and just deliver amazing hardware products. And I believe that after after the bubble of uh, you know of the um, internet bubble and and all the apps and everything, we are seeing a, a strong increase of hardware again. Mm-hmm. We are moving back to hardware, and that's um, where I feel like that's where we are focused on too. Yeah. So effectively, yeah, we're looking for funding. We're looking for talent, specifically software and hardware. Which, I mean, I guess that's pretty much everything, right? (laughs) It's like we want people who can program and build stuff. Yes. (laughs) Pretty straightforward there. Um, But specifically people with experience in in computer vision. Yeah. Yeah. Why computer vision? Because um, our product will uh, will be very software heavy at some point. Mm -hmm. um, As Jason said before, the hardware can be built and can be copied. 
right? But what do you do in order to uh, so before, like in the past, how they created great videos is by um, changing the hardware, mm -hmm. creating better lenses like Canon and Nikon. They are doing a great job on that, right? Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we can leverage simple lenses and make the best videos ever because we have software. Huh? Yeah, the name escapes me, but it was a new. Well, it was something new that came out where it was a company that did they did image stabilization, mm -hmm. and. Oh, can't remember why I don't believe I, believe I can't believe I don't remember the name now. But what they effectively did was they sped up the frames and found commonalities in the pixels, and used the accelerometers on the phone to eliminate all the shaking in the images. Wow. So you would take one image, look at the next, and then the next, and the next after that, and see how did they kind of fit together, merge them into one larger image, and then just cut out the edges, right? So that you could just focus on the stable part of that image. And it's really incredible because you're taking just regular cameras. I mean, iPhone cameras, you know, Samsung cameras, whatever, right? Whatever people have, and you're able to create really, really smooth images that replicate the capability of cameras that cost forty, fifty thousand dollars that filmmakers use. Wow! And so that came out a couple months ago, I think. Yeah. And that is some true wizardry right there. Yeah, right? it's crazy. amazing what they can do with software, right? Yeah. Wow. So that's where we see hardware is great as a as a base. Mm -hmm to bring that content in, in as high a resolution as possible, but then software is really what takes it to that next level. Sure. And so that's really where we think our true value will lie over time. I want to ask you about image stabilization. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but will that be a feature that will be included uh, eventually? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. If you are mounting it and you are riding a motorcycle and you want to have a video where other people can experience motorcycle rides, mm -hmm. we definitely need that. Yeah. Right? And um, oh yeah, before I forget uh, forget my thought. Sure. <laughs> so um, to come back to what Jason said, um, how how what we are looking for, I, I think it's true. We are looking for the developers as well as hardware uh, pro, um, people who can c um, prototype well. But I think most important to us is to look for people who are passionate about the same vision that we have. Right? They can be um, semi-professional um, movie makers. They can be um, just hobbyists who, who love to you know shoot guy, uh, shoot and create and capture experiences. Right? We need all of them mm -hmm. because those are the people who will form our community. Those are the people who will help us create the content. Mm -hmm. Those are the people who will create the experience which will be on our portal, which will attract even more people and make them excited about what we do. I want to know a little bit more about yourselves individually, like in your in your backgrounds, as to like, how did you end up in this neck of the woods? Like, what, what's your what's your origin <laughs> story? Like, <laughs> uh, start? Well, you draw people in Silicon Valley, and you know you bump into enough people, you come across an idea crazy enough to leave your day job for us. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much uh, every company ever. Yeah, kind of serendipitous. I mean, I came, I went to Georgia Tech, came over to the Bay Area to join startups, but not knowing any. Um, semiconductors were a good foot in the door. So I worked for SanDisk. That's where I met Han. So we worked together on projects at SanDisk. So that got us really into the hardware side of things, ramping products, scaling them, bringing costs down, shipping, the whole, you know, the whole nine yards. So I left SanDisk to actually go to join another startup. Um, so I did that for a while. And then that was when Han was also looking. And he met another developer who was actually building the camera, and he said, this thing is amazing. <laughs> so he calls me up the next day, and he's like, need to go to lunch. 
Like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> I was like, you have to see this. That's that's incredible. Um, you saw the same video, right? With yes. With the baby uh, playing instruments in front of you. Yes. Um, that baby was probably just one year old. And when I uh, when I watched that experience, I felt like I was standing next to the baby. And I told myself, no matter if this is going to be successful or not, I want to have something like this for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, one day when I have my children, I can take or uh, capture one of those moments with them. And, and then watch it again and again and again, even if they grow up and look different, and just zoom back in time and get back to that moment where where um, I see my child um, at a stage in, in life which I have never seen before. It's it's amazing. Yeah. That's the experience I, I, I told him. And it was pretty funny because he's telling me this, but it's like trying to explain color TV to someone who's only ever seen black and white TV, right? Yeah. I'm sitting there like, ah, you know, we've been through this VR thing before. I mean, Oculus is cool, but yeah, what <laughs> in my mind I was remembering like 1990s shooter games mm. and stuff and, you know, really cheap graphics and... I'm sitting there like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> and then so he then, put it on. Yeah, he puts it on, and I'm like, a minute later, I'm like, I take it off, and I'm like, tell him, okay, so when do we start? <laughs> what do you need? Wow. <laughs> so yeah. that was kind of fun. It was, uh, didn't take me long to realize the value that this technology had. Yeah. And I think for me, um, because my background is uh, very diverse, um, it has a meaning to what I do. Um, so like I said, I was born in China. Um, I grew up in Germany and did my undergrad there, and then I came here for my master's to UC Berkeley. Um, after graduating, I felt um, even though we are in a very globalized world and uh, people are traveling all the time, now it's way easier to go to one country or the other. Um, I grew up in a, uh, or in my, during my childhood, it was difficult to see my parents, right? So because one of them was in Germany, one of them was in China, and so um, I saw my dad like once in three years, right? And um, or my grandma, I haven't seen her for the last five years. And um, she has been calling me every single day, asking like, when are you coming back? When do I see? I don't even know how much time I have left to see you again, right? And um, to just being able to capture a video of myself and send it to her and let her feel again how it is to stand next to me and be in the same room with mm -hmm. me, I think that would make her cry because that's a moment which, which you know, which no one can um, can replace. Yeah, I I just sort of to share a quick grandma story. My 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 uh, my grandma <laughs> is in Nicaragua, and I don't think I'll I don't think I don't know if she'll ever make it out here. Like I I don't know. I I, I it's sort of when I'm in that situation where it's kind of on me. Um, but with your camera. It, and so her dream is to see the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. She wants to go there. Like she wants to, and I think VR is probably the next best thing for her. And I'm gonna try my hardest to get her over here to see the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, but but if not, hopefully I, there's lucid. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, We're giving you the easy out. Yeah, thank you, oh, guys. Thank you. This is why I interviewed you guys because um, there's there's a purpose to this. Um, what about VR? Like, I, I want to know your take on VR over the years and what made you want to be a part of this this you know burgeoning in this industry. Yeah, I mean, being in engineering school, you've got all that work, and you got to procrastinate somehow, right? <laughs> <laughs> being locked up in your dorm, video games, right? Yes. Best thing to go to when you're tired of books, right? And so, 
I guess all of us kind of in, in you know, the 20s to 30s and early 40s, you know, we've kind of seen the rapid advances that video games have kind of gone through, right? So we got to see the graphics start really nascent and grow into really mature games nowadays where, you know, sometimes it's hard to even differentiate, you know, real, real images in the game from virtual. Yeah. For me... Yeah, we started off with that on the VR headsets. So I feel like... The early the early headsets were great, but because the rest of the world kind of took off and the graphics got so much better, we left we left virtual reality kind of in the dust, right? It just it wasn't mature enough to really get us any further. And I feel like we finally are at the capabilities now to where we can step back into that world and redevelop it and realize its potential, whereas previously we hadn't. And so I'm really excited to see what people come out with because I mean you think like today you can create movies mm-hmm. digitally that mimic the real world so well you can't even differentiate and throw that into a 3D arena where you've got the ability to move with your head and the image keeps up because processors work fast enough, you know, the accelerometers and everything. I feel like technology is really at that threshold where it can really mimic reality well enough to really trick us into bleeding it. And that's really where I'm really excited now because I feel like we've finally hit that, we've finally hit that critical point in the technology to where I feel like it's able to take off. Yeah. So for me, um, I'm an engineer by heart, and I've studied engineering my entire life. And for me, it's just passion. Uh, I, I have I'm very passionate about being um, or being engaged in the newest technology, and especially in the technology which is changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I believe that VR will be changing people's lives because there's so much potential to it. And um, to create a technology or to to create a product which impacts other people's life and how they communicate and how they share experiences and also capture is um, was always a dream of mine to uh, to pursue and right now with LucidCam we believe if, if we can make this happen that we can change the world pretty much like you know every entrepreneur <laughs> dreams about we want to do it yeah right and and this is the product which can help us to get there and help other people to see the world differently. And I mean, this might be like really grand dreams, delusions of grandeur, maybe even. But a lot of a lot of conflicts stem from misunderstanding. And often, you know, you have the phrase, you know, if only you could see through my eyes, right? Mm. And I feel like we're finally at the point where we can show people the world through our eyes. And I'm really curious to see what happens when we give that to con- when we give that to consumers in the world and we put it out there. What really becomes of it? You know, like when we can actually see the world through other people's eyes. Do we become more sympathetic? You know, mm. what kind of what kind of new areas of life do we unlock, or capabilities do we have that we didn't have before? You know. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna say it's gonna create world peace and all that kind of stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, these technologies really empower people to 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 make a difference. And I'm, for me, I would really love to see what life is like in, for instance, like Nicaragua, right? I've never been there, but to me, it's really interesting to see how do they live life. You know, and I do have the ability to travel, but a lot of people don't. And I feel like that impacts the way they view the world very significantly and limits them in a sense. Yeah. I, 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 I want to just hold on to that point you said. With VR, in my mind, I feel like we're creating this thing that is both a teleportation device and an empathy-creating machine. But to that point of empathy, you know, just like we're at the very edge of this new era of filmmaking, we're still at the very edge of this new era of human computer, human to human interaction. And I don't know, I don't know if we're actually going to feel empathy through VR, but because mm-hmm. we haven't seen that yet. But I'm convinced 
that I that we might uh, just because of how compelling it, it is as a, of an experience. Um, so we'll see. But I'm um, but I'm crossing my fingers. I'm cro- <laughs> and, and I'm crossing my fingers for you guys well, that like, you guys can like most technology. You know, like you never know, you never really know how people use it once you put it out there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it can go both ways, right? I can think of a lot of nefarious uses for that kind of technology. But ideally, that's what we'd like. But ideally, being at the helm of that, that's really one of the reasons why we love being in the Bay Area because you get to be at the forefront of that and watch that technology in its early stages when you can really influence its development and its use going forward, right? Yeah. What if Facebook had been created by somebody who had far more capitalistic dreams than Mark Zuckerberg and it just became another spam machine and it didn't really create the value it could have, right? And so that's really where, sure, there's ways it could be misused or maybe not realize its full potential, but we'd, it's really exciting to be at the forefront of that and maybe see if we can kind of nurture positive uses with this technology because I think it has really good potential. Yeah, especially early on, I think it's because it's in its nascent stage. The um, the, the chorus of voices is a lot it's a lot less louder, and mm-hmm. therefore I think it's it it might be easier to channel the direction in which it, it heads. Um, but I want to get your thoughts on what it's like to be a startup in Silicon Valley, trying to make it out there. Like, what's your journey been like? How, how's how's it been like pitching to investors this new thing that the world has never seen for an <laughs> unproven market that the world might never see? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, what is it? What what has it been like? I feel like I need to get a filmmaker and get start making a movie out of you guys. What's <laughs> <going>? <laughs> well, like I said, right? It has been a, like a roller coaster. Um, there. Or even you know um, you know how a roller coaster go up, goes up up and down right and um, in an entrepreneurship life everything is compact you know condensed into one a few days so you can go like roller coaster up and down in a few hours and then the next hour you make the next breakthrough and then you get to the next level and you you know you get rejected all the time by those uh, investors who don't know what you are talking about. Because, like, like Jason said, right? Um, it, it's like explaining color movies to to someone who knows only black and white movies, and um, until they have seen it, and you ex- inspire them with your passion about it, um, until then. There's a long, long journey to go. Yeah, I mean, Facebook really made our job a lot easier by buying out Oculus for so much money, because then people are willing to throw their lot in. They'll give you the benefit of the doubt, right? Which really helps a lot in certain situations. But, yeah, startups are, especially here in the Bay Area, where it's so expensive, that has a unique element to it, to where, like, you're chasing a dream, but you're also burning cash like nothing else. you got to pay your bills, which are really big, right? So you're, like, working your day job, and, you know. Yeah. And yeah. in my past, I founded uh, three startups, and uh, some of them not very successful, some of them a little bit successful. But... Um, I think it's about not giving up to always get back to the game and and go for what you are passionate about. You know, chase the dream you have because if you if you are here in the Silicon Valley and you have all the talents, all the resources around you, why don't you use it to to live life to the fullest instead of um, you know, being in a um, environment which you don't like? Which limits you, or your talent, or your capabilities, and instead of doing that, challenging what's around you, and seeing what is possible, and bring yourself to the next level, right? Yeah, an example. I mean, just an anecdote or a story is to kind of give you some insight into kind of what it's like. Um, little, little while back, actually, this was only like two weeks ago. Uh, 
we were working on the prototype. Oh, it was great. It was going good, but we're having a little, we're having a couple setbacks where people were just not really too enthused. And so we're sitting there going, oh man, you know, <laughs> it's requiring a lot of legwork. And then suddenly it just so happened that one of the events we went to where it was just, it was a small group of like 20 people, right? It, it was, it was a long drive for very little reward, return. I guess, return, right? <laughs> you know, we're sitting there, you're hoping every time to be talking to the masses and the door the product and yeah. sometimes you walk in the room and there's only 10 people there and you're like oh wow this is not really and five what I was hoping for. sleeping right <laughs> and the speaker's really boring and you're like well at least they've got you know snacks yeah. <laughs> and so coming back from one of those events where you know you're like you're rushing off you're putting everything on hold you know you got a project to do then you got some work to do the next day for your boss and you have to be up till 3 a.m doing it because you ended up at this event till midnight right and so you're kind of bummed, and then the next day you get a call back at 1 o'clock, and the guy says, one of the guys you just happened to meet, you didn't know who he was, right? Tells you, hey, I actually work for this venture capital firm. Um, we've got a demo going on at 4 p.m. It's 1 p.m. now. Can you make it? And you're sitting there thinking, well, how do I walk out the door? Yeah. <laughs> and my boss not notice. <laughs> and is it worth it? Will it still be another five or ten people there? Or, you know, so you're sitting there, and you decide, well, whatever let's just go do it right yeah. and so we headed out the door he calls me and i'm like all right let's see if we can get out yeah and jump the car drive there get there it's raining pouring we grab our headset sit down put up a demo booth and then end up having great conversations and there's a ton of people there yeah. and a vc who's now excited to actually talk to us about funding us and it's just like you just can't it's it's fun because there's an element of adrenaline in the unexpected which makes yeah. life Exciting, I guess, because it's yeah. almost like an adventure. But at the same time, too, to every good narrative and story, there's always the, the you know, antagonist and the the issues that you got to face and all that. So it's really that was an example of how it was exciting and depressing at the same time. And you kind of come out of that and you're like, wow, what just happened? But <laughs> <laughs> but I think the one uh, the most important lesson I learned from doing startups is um, life is just not linear. It's just not. It's not linear, like no. no. It's just not. <laughs> Explain this. I'm uh, curious. Okay, so um, what I'm saying is, um, it, it's not like you you get another degree and then uh, you work and then you get promoted and then you get another degree and then afterwards you search for a job and then you work yourself up the ladder at a big corporate organization or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes opportunities pop up. And um, some of them have bigger opportunity uh, windows of opportunities. Sometimes they have smaller ones. And it's all up to you if you are willing to take the risk to jump in or if you are not willing and you are too afraid to take the risk. If you take the risk, sometimes like we did, you get rewarded. And um, you, you start building more and more leverage over time because... Um, one thing leads to another, like like Jason said, right? The other day they called us up, and then we got to a VC um, demo event, and afterwards we have two VCs lined up to invest in our company. So stuff like this is just not planned. It's not linear. It's not um, that we we mm -hmm. said okay we're gonna go to that event and that event's gonna lead to this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is gonna lead to. And that. it also shows that like there's often hidden successes in the failures. So mm. you know you could be doubting yourself and go oh man that was a waste of time. Yeah. Now I've got to explain to my boss why I ducked out early, and then you end up having somehow snuck in a success there and you didn't realize it, right? And then I'm sure there's seeds you've laid that, you know, all of us have laid in our lives that, like, end up blossoming a little later and right now we think it's a complete waste of time and a failure, you know? It's like, that happened to be the next day, which was nice, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to have, to have that turn around that fast, but sometimes it takes a lot longer and I guess it's, you know, like you said, the nonlinearity of it, you know, yeah. you can have a lot of failures, but 
suddenly a success, and you can go right back to zero, and then yeah. end up at a really at the highest that you've ever been at. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's, and you can also end up at the lowest you have <laughs> yeah. ever been at. Really, it takes, <laughs> yeah. it takes pain tolerance in a sense, you know, because you're, in order to see the success, you're also going to have to experience a lot of the. Uh, the rough patches where you don't have the funding and you're biting your nails. Right. <laughs> but I think the most important thing is if you are able to, if you are down like to the lowest, right? If you are able to keep your head up and um, stand up again and fight for what you want, mm -hmm. and if you are at the top when you're at those great moments, you are humble, you keep your head down and, <laughs> and keep doing what you do. I think that's most important to to success. Because we're not out of the woods yet either, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about this, but like... <laughs> and, and in that vein, that same vein, like, how do you... How do you... How does planning at all come... Like, be, become a part of this? Like, because to some extent, you have to sort of have a blueprint or a foundation or a plan, right? And, yeah. and so how do you balance out having a plan and facing the reality of the universe being a non-linear place? Like. <laughs> right. So... Um, I think it has a lot to do with uh, being able to accept mistakes and failures and mm -hmm. that it just doesn't go right all the time, right? Um, I know a lot of friends of mine who, who get very upset when they miss the bus because they're like, oh my gosh, the bus left like five minutes before the time they <laughs> were scheduled to leave, right? Uh, and, and in startups, this is a situation which happens all the time, but with way more risk and way more um, investment, right? So uh, you just need to... When you create a plan for a startup, you just need to accept upfront that this plan is not going to work out like you planned. But you are creating the plan because you want to be, you know, you want to have a direction, right? It's like um, going through through the woods and you have no clue how to go through it, but you have a plan of how you assume to go through it. Right. Yeah. Go north, and then whichever go, go direction. North. You know, exactly. Life throws forks at you, and then you just gotta pick the one that goes north, even if it's not the even if it doesn't send you exactly north. It's at least a degree closer, right? Right. So I feel a, a lot of it comes down to positioning too. Yeah. So if you're never ready, you're gonna miss an opportunity, even if it is super obvious and very easy, mm -hmm. right? If you are ready, if you're if you're positioning yourself to where you'll jump at an opportunity if it comes however small, then even if it is a small opportunity, you can take it, right? And often those small opportunities incrementally lead to a large one. Mm. So, and, yeah, yeah, you gotta be you got to be willing to take, when presented with an opportunity, take the one that leads you closer to your goal. Otherwise, you know, just like a small small incremental steps take you to your goal, small incremental steps take you away from your goal as well. Wow. And for me, I, I always see, you know, um, I'm taking bigger risks because as a foreigner in the United States, um, how do you stay in the country? Right? Yeah, this guy's crazy. How, <laughs> <laughs> you can literally be kicked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, if you, if something screws up, right? I have to leave the country in two weeks. Or, you know, I have to pack my stuff. And That's crazy, it, dude. Right. So always being able to face the risks and and go forward. That's. Um, yeah, I heard an interesting quote. The difference between bravery and stupidity is that bravery is correctly assessing the odds and determining it worthwhile, anyways, and. Recklessness is incorrectly determining the odds and going ahead. Because <laughs> if you don't, if you're not really doing that, if you're not doing the risk assessment and stuff, and you're just plowing ahead regardless, then mm -hmm. that's just reckless, right? So there is an element where you have to be conscious of like the choices you're making because there are they're gonna they're gonna be consequences. Yeah. So. In terms of the your experience in Silicon Valley, and, and we're st sort of starting to bring things to a close. Just a couple more questions. I want to ask you, like, you know. 
the type of person that gets invested on, I mean, it's not just the idea, but it's also the, the, the people behind mm-hmm. the idea. You know, is it easier to be able to pitch to VCs the coming from the fact that you're an engineer yourself? And, you know, like, the, like does that help you, like, the, the, the fact that you have that background? And, you know, at the same time, you know, what is the type of person that you feel like or you've seen gets most invested on? Is it the engineer that has charisma and has six-pack abs and has... Yeah, six-pack abs is very important. Six-pack abs is very important in Silicon Valley, if you haven't heard. I mean, how do you think Zuckerberg got funded? Um, he was doing crunches all night long. In his <laughs> pretty much. Um, I think one thing that they respect is having failed because the investors have put in a lot of money and lost a lot of money. And failing sucks. And so being able to look them in the eye and say, look, I get that like you don't want to lose your money, right? We also don't want to lose your money. And we're not careless with it. We're measured with it, right? So we believe that we can steward your resources and make a good return on it, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're not out there to just see a technology grow. They want that, but they also want to do it profitably. And being able to look them in the eye and you know not be frivolous about it and to be able to say, look, I know what, I know what losing looks like. <laughs> I think... You're always trying to establish commonality with them, and I think that's an important point because they've lost a lot. Mm-hmm. They've lost millions on a lot of ventures that failed, mm-hmm. and you know it's not an unknown fact that the majority of startups fail. Mm-hmm. And uh, along with that goes a lot of investor investor money, and they're trying to assess whether you're going to be reckless or not with it, right? Whether you're brave or reckless, <laughs> and being able to say like, I get that this is not an easy job is pretty important for them, I think. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And how? What do you think? I mean. He's been the one who's also had a lot of, I mean, I've been in a startup, but I haven't done as much investing as he has, so I guess he's the better person to talk about um, <laughs> what it takes. So, so I, I don't think that there are specific requirements, um, like, for example, you have to be an engineer or you have to be um, well-spoken or whatever, right? I think it's um, it's about the way you, you live your life and um, the way how you communicate to the investors. Um, if you if you can make the investor believe in you, right, then that's the only thing they need in order to invest in you because they need to have people who they believe that the, that person is going to be um, able to deliver, right? Even uh, if, if you don't have engineering degree, you still can deliver, right? There are so many different ways how to solve a problem and most of them are relational, right? So if, if an investor starts to look at you and um, sees the so pretty much what they are doing they are making a bet on you right they're not making a bet on your product or your company they're making a bet on you and there are just a few people out there who will make a bet on you when you believe in your what you do and you believe that you can deliver and you can bring that over to to the person and make him believe the same what you do then that's enough to make you know, to get funding. Hmm. Beautifully said. Um, one last question about Lucidcam. Will that, will, and this is random, will it have the ability to live stream? Like, for example, can I, can I um, go onto Han's channel and view his cooking channel in real time? Like, you know, as it's yeah. happening, will that be a possibility? Definitely. We are definitely yes. looking into that because, um, from our perspective, I don't know if you've seen the Iron Man, uh, you know, Iron Man, uh, Iron Man 3 or something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting I, some, a little bit geeky now. So <laughs> I've seen one and two, but yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Iron Man 3 where 
um, the person uh, where the um, main actor came uh, comes into his house and he starts swiping around with his computer mm -hmm. and um, scanning different areas. So if we can build live uh, live streaming into this, right? What happens is it opens up so many opportunities for augmented reality. Meaning you can you can mount this in the uh, on in the front of your um, virtual reality headset, um, your Oculus, and then you can start uh, seeing your arms and hands, and you can overlay those kind of um, reality with objects, mm -hmm. and so you actually can start having this place of um, uh, computers in this in the air which you can direct around, or you can even create your own watch and just have it. And a virtual watch on you, right? So um, just to give you like a glimpse of uh, what will be possible. Yeah, another example would be Minority Report. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of cues have come from the tech that they kind of thought of, yeah. and people have said, "Man, that'd be great if we could build it." So, yeah, I mean, holograms haven't really come around yet, and people are working on them forever. This might actually be our chance to have the equivalent. Yeah. And so live streaming is important to us because we want to have real feeds in order to overlay information in real time. Very so, cool. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts uh, before we start bringing things to a close? When is this going to be out? When when will people be able to buy this at Best Buy or Amazon or wherever this is going to be? Like, when do, do you have an estimation as to when this is going to be out on the market? We're definitely looking into 2015. 2015. That's um, the year we are uh, the year we are targeting. Okay. And um, um, right now we don't have an exact launch date, mm -hmm. but I'm looking into mid or end. Of 2015. Yeah, so Q1 will be the limited prototype release, right? To work out the bugs, test it with the community, see how they react, right? Beta um, test, and then after that, we go for mass production as fast as possible. Yes. So Kickstarter, are, are you guys going to go the Kickstarter route or just straight yeah, up VC? Definitely trying with Kickstarter. I, I think Kickstarter is a great engine to to increase the uh, awareness about around your product. Mm. Yeah, and, um, an important function of Kickstarter too, which I don't know if it's as readily known, is for engineers building products that are physical, there's a lot of risk, right? Because you're actually putting the money up front to build something that might not sell. So in effect, you've got inventory. A software program, yeah, you put in the cost, but if it doesn't sell, you don't have, you know, you're not, it's not really costing you that much to build X number of units, right? And so Kickstarter really empowers us to build these units because you're ordering it before we built it. So that takes a lot of risk off us. And so we love Kickstarter because you know, <laughs> if you can if you can order it and prove that there's demand, it also makes it a lot easier for us to raise venture capital funding. Yeah. Right. Sure. Because you've already got users who love it in the community that's using it, and that's I mean, it says a lot to people who want to put money into their yeah. venture. Very cool. Yeah, Kickstarter seems like a win-win situation. Yeah. Um, so again, I, after much questioning, I can deduct uh, quite confidently that you guys are, after all, true scholars and gentlemen of virtual reality. Uh, so I got to thank you for your time and thank you for your passion, really. Um, but yeah, final thought, anything that you just want to bring up before we bring things to a close? Well, I appreciate you having us on the show. Yes, having us here. We're always happy to preach about virtual reality and making a bigger world. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm, Any opportunity we jump at, so... Definitely. Uh, how can people stay in touch? How can people follow what you're doing? Oh, they definitely can reach uh, reach out to us. Um, uh, this is Jason at lucidcam.com. I'm Han um, at lucidcam.com. You can follow us uh, follow us on Twitter where we are lucid um, uh, slash um, cam, uh, and you can also like us on Facebook. We have um, a lucid cam Facebook page, and also the good old fashioned regular web page. Lucidcam.com. Yeah, lucidcam.com. Definitely check it out. Um, I think 
um, when you go to that website, you will start understanding what we actually have about. And we invite everybody to just go to VR events with us because it's great when it's a crowd and it's fun to join the movement. So yes. it's the fastest way to get in touch with us and even get perhaps prototypes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or even check out the demos which we have. Yeah, right? yeah. and not just us, but everyone else because there's a lot of exciting stuff going on yeah. in that space. Where is the next event that you guys are going to be at? Uh, do you... Oh, there's a big event coming up in January. Um, January 16th? Yes. Oh, yeah. The one with Upload VR? Yes, yeah, exactly. Dude, we're on the same page. There you go. <laughs> this is why I'm about here. It. Um, yeah, we, we're going to be demoing at that event. Okay, cool. I'll leave that all and all the other relevant links in the show notes. Once again, Han and Jason, thank you guys so, so much for your time. Yep. Thanks a lot. Likewise, thanks.